Starting a podcast can be very time-consuming. I've been doing it for more than three years now, and my biggest challenge was finding a way to distribute my episodes across major audio platforms in a way that was easy, effective, and free to use. That's when I came across Anchor. And the best part is that you can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's going on, everyone? This is George Khalife. We're back with another episode of Let's Grab Coffee. I'm here today with a good friend, Ross Andrew Paquette, who's the chairman and CEO of Meripost. Meripost is the leading provider of on-demand email, digital marketing, CRM, and e-commerce solutions. It's actually one of the fastest-growing North American companies without ever raising funding. Ross is also the founder of Meripost Cares, a philanthropic effort toward the protection, conservation, and education of global environmental issues and a fellow alum from Ottawa U. Thanks a lot for doing this, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. And it was actually very interesting kind of looking at your profile, studying the background. Uh, I found it intriguing that, you know, if you look at the educational component, you studied criminology at Ottawa U. So that was really the formal background that you had in education. How did you pivot then into entrepreneurship and then go to start Meripost? How did that happen? So while I was at, in university, I um, actually was working a handful of jobs at the center, maybe not a handful, but uh, three or four different jobs at the same time. I was working for uh, a global shipping company in, in kind of administration management. I was working at a, a nightclub. I was working at a hotel as well. I was working as a bartender at a restaurant, just the same. So um, a lot kind of going on. And I, I sort of came to the decision that I was just going to, you know, kind of quit all of those, you know, whether opportunities or just jobs and, uh, and travel for a little bit. And literally a week later, uh, a friend of mine, and, and I don't know if you knew this, I'm actually from Timmins, Ontario originally. So I, I grew okay. up there, which is about eight hours north of Toronto. Wow. And so while I was there, uh, sorry, while I was in Ottawa, that is, I, um, you know, I, I thought, you know, again, I'll take off and travel for a little bit. And about a week later, a, a family friend from Timmins uh, called me up and said, hey, I've got a great opportunity, you know, in an inside sales role was paying next to nothing. Uh, but I thought, you know what, why, why not? It was in the tech space. And um, turns out that the account executive that I was being paired with was actually, a, a, you know, I wouldn't call him a friend at the time, but, um, you know, a, a colleague or, or a contact of mine from within the city. And so within a couple months there, actually, they ended up um, letting that individual go. So I didn't really have a... Um, I didn't really have a method, I guess you could say, of generating commission or income or what have you. And so uh, he ended up going, though, to a, another organization, which um, which is a, an email service provider still today. Uh, they're more focused in the, in the kind of uh, self-service market. But um, uh, he mentioned my name to the CEO and kind of, you know, gave some of my backstory. And I ended up going in there for an interview and, um, you know, came on board. And within about 12 months, uh, went from being a you know junior inside sales rep to a director of sales. Um, and then that company was actually sold to a much larger organization. Um, you know, they didn't really fit with the philosophy of what, what I was looking for at the time. I, you know, it was very customer centric. Um, they were more, again, from the self-service aspect. And so f- from there, it, it sort of is, you know, the rest is sort of history. I, I ended up moving to another company after that uh, in, in, again, the marketing automation space. And while I was there, I decided, you know, maybe I can have, you know, 10 or 15 clients and create a really great, you know, kind of at the time lifestyle business. And um, the difference, I guess, of, of where that started and where it went was we weren't, 
you know, we didn't stop developing and we didn't stop selling. So, you know, we just kept advancing the platform and we kept, I kept looking for new customers and, you know, all of a sudden we, um, you know, I believe it was back in 2013 went from about uh, 300,000 revenue to 3.3 million in revenue. And then, you know, just kept growing from there. Um, so it's been, you know, it's been really exciting, I guess you could say from a, a you know, background perspective and just how quickly everything, you know, moved, moved along or moved forward. Um, you know, and, and, and certainly I would say in, in many ways, very unique in that, you know, we, we never had to raise any capital. Um, you know, we did do a secondary round a couple of years ago, but that's, that's vastly different than, um, you know, raising from a growth perspective. Um, so, you know, it, for the most part, we've always kind of kept with that same philosophy of, of building a great organization, um, you know, as opposed to say growing at all costs. And, uh, you know, now I guess you can say the big focus is, is really just, you know, simplifying the customer experience, uh, whether that be on the customer engagement side, whether that be in the e-commerce side of things, whether that be uh, where we're moving in the future into service and support. When you originally founded Maripost, so this was back in 2011, it was a customer-centric email service provider, so an ESP, but then really that quickly grew uh, beyond that original vision. Uh, you pivoted then in, in more so on the B2B side, and it became a fully unified customer engagement platform. How did that pivot happen, and why was it that you wanted to focus more so on the customer engagement? It was, you know, this, this is almost 10 years ago now uh, in terms of my, my entrance into the space, but the, mm-hmm. you know, customers to this day, of course, rely heavily on email, right? It, it, I, you know, it goes through its ebbs and flows of one month or not, maybe not one month, but, you know, one year, every couple of years, somebody says email marketing is dead. And then two years later, it's like the greatest channel all over again. Yeah. Uh, but really, you know, nothing has changed in that it's, it's of course, you know, the highest performing channel from a from an ROI perspective. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of data out there, but you know, it's anywhere between, you know, uh, you know, one dollar to every fifty two or sorry, fifty two dollars for every dollar spent, and I've I've seen up to one hundred and twenty dollars for every dollar spent. So it really depends on the the customers and the vertical that you're talking to. Um, but that is, you know, that's really exciting because you are you know, assisting with the, 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 you know, actual growth of the business. Like we have some, some clients who generate a hundred percent of their revenue from email, which is crazy. And I'm not talking small companies. I'm talking companies who do 50, 100, 150 million in revenue as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it continues to be sort of that channel that keeps on giving. And now, of course we've moved, you know, moved on from email, not moved on, but moved forward from email into, you know, pushing in at messaging into marketing automation, into acquisition, into social, um, you know, now into, into the, you know, e-commerce space and into the CDP space as well, uh, which is, of course, a, the, the flavor of the, the year from a terminology perspective. <laughs> but, you know, it, it again, it all really does flow back to that, you know, that revenue side of things. And I've always found that to be exciting um, back to the early stages of my career. So when you're thinking back to those earlier days, what would you say was that real tipping point, the real inflection point? And I think that's going to help a lot of aspiring founders listening to this. Because they want to hear, like, what was it that made the biggest difference? Yeah. Um, I'd say a couple really strong relationships were built. And, and again, we had a product that could support those customers, right? There's a lot of, you know, startups where they go out and they raise a ton of capital and they hire a big team, you know, but perhaps the, the product just isn't scaling as quickly as the customer base was. Um, when we had, you know, four or five people in the company, we were still selling companies that did, you know, again, 50, $100 million in revenue. Of course, we have some that are significantly larger today, uh, or Fortune 500 from, from that perspective. Uh, but at the time, we, essentially, we were able to back what we were selling, right? Where I think a lot of people struggle in those early stages is they spend so much time creating or building the business, you know, the business, not the product necessarily. And, you know, things don't really line up on a lot of fronts, right? And of course, 
the natural progression towards, um, you know, increasing spending, thinking that revenue is just going to come along with that. You know, I don't believe that's always the reality. Of course, that's the best case scenario, but um, that doesn't happen for everyone. You know, so for us, it was really just keeping that product development and that innovation moving very quickly and, and focusing on that. And of course, the customer, um, you know, at all costs. Given that these are your priorities, right? Innovation, product management, obviously being customer centric as you really want to be. The fact that you were bootstrapped or self-funded for so long, how were you able to be resourceful while still, you know, pushing the pace and generating that cash flow early on? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a that's a great question. I think that's a tough one where you know, it really depends on the founder, right? Like if you, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to come from a, a, you know, relatively a sales background, but uh, had a lot of interest in the product side of things, had a lot of interest in, in the infrastructure and what, you know, what it t- took to, you know, not code the platform, but, it, but effectively bring it to scale. Um, and of course, at the same time, you know, as a sales individual back then, it was really exciting being able to drive the innovation that you knew customers wanted, right? Like I could be mm-hmm. on a call with a client who came, who would come up with a really great idea or share a concept with me. And 20 minutes later, I'm explaining to the team, hey, I just heard about this amazing idea. Like this is gonna, how quickly can we do this, right? And yeah. uh, I was fortunate enough to have a, a co-founder who could make that happen very quickly as well. So um, again, there, there's a lot of, I, I wouldn't say there's a lot of give and take, but there's a lot of, you know, kind of teamwork that has to happen there and, and you know, quick decision-making and of course, quick, quick, um, direction uh, as opposed to say having you know a committee involved with many things and 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 that's i think where a lot of companies go wrong right it becomes sort of an endless series of debates and whether that's on product whether it's on how you support your customers whether it's how you market or sell them um you can certainly go down those different roads and in the early stages just going back to your question around you know being a a a startup founder innovator you know that's where a lot of companies go wrong right i mean um, i i think kevin kept apprised of the failure rates these days but uh, you know, it, it's really critical to, you know, to really ensure that you can execute that plan either yourself or with a, you know, a handful of people, um, you know, before you go too far down the road. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of capital being thrown in the space, especially in software and SaaS. You know, you see a lot of founders raising seed rounds of one to three million without even having a legitimate monetization plan in place before doing so and unfortunately that has become the the metric for success like how much did you raise you know if a founder is making you know 50k in revenue but they've raised 5 million that's not necessarily a success in business you know fundamentally i would i would agree i would very much agree with that statement so with that said what are your thoughts on the space like what's your outlook on this whole capital raising scene maybe what advice would you give to founders listening that's a sensitive topic for me so that it's a sensitive topic uh, because of what you just said there's there's so much money out there right now you know of of course obviously i believe in in growing the company um you know but i very uh, growing companies in general um but i you know i i like to believe that we we could uh, you know i hope that in on most cases or all cases that we can accomplish more with less so as in you know, we don't need $3 million or we don't need $20 million or we don't need $50 million. We can really just sort of make it happen. And I'm not saying you're going to, you're going to work, you know, hard work your way to a hundred million, which is something our, our VP of sales always says. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, you can hard work your way to a lot. I, I yeah. think, you know, I mean, if you, and again, you, of course you have to have the right resources and the stars have to align in many ways. Um, but I think, you know, we, we've developed very much a, a, a culture as, a, as an industry, um, you know, where that's just too common and the check sizes are too large and there's, there's too, it be, you know, 
it becomes this never ending chase as opposed to saying, I just want to build a really great product, you know, and of course I'm going to be able to bring that to the right scale or the right level or certain, of course, hopefully I'm going to be able to do that. And then, okay, maybe it makes sense to raise capital because we, you know, we can get there faster. Um, but I, I, you know, I think when you do a venture round and an A, B, C, you know, and of course, depending on the company, the lists go on and on and on. Um, I, I wish we'd see a little bit more of that less funding, you know, higher activity companies that, that are really just trying to make it happen or, you know, or founders, I should say, um, that are really just trying to make it happen. Watching some of the clips online, you had some interviews, some conversations. One of the questions that came to my mind, especially seeing the growth of Maripost from inception to now, a lot of things have changed in the business, especially with obviously the employee count. Like I think you're about at 180 right now, which is a lot of people to manage. The question for you then is, how have you been able to grow as a leader of this business? And what changes have you had to make within yourself uh, in that process? Yeah, that's another great question. So, I mean, one of the one of the biggest problems actually is uh, sorry, one of the biggest problems of the, you know, coming from the background that I have come from and actually going back to that, um, you know, just hardworking your way, maybe, you know, to, to 10 million or to 20 million kind of thing mm-hmm. is that you, you don't have, you don't have much time. Actually, you don't have any time for the most part to step back and, and really, you know, evolve from that say leadership perspective, because you're so busy, you know, bringing customers on board, keeping customers on board, you know, focusing on, on again, scalable infrastructure, designing new features, designing new products, um, dealing with the weekly uh, HR finance, whatever issue. Um, so it doesn't give you a lot of time for yourself. I mean, I, I, I think that's probably a, tr- you know, a big, a big trade-off um, where, you know, again, when you, when you go, you know, maybe not day one, but relatively day one and you raise, you know, $10 million or $20 million or something, you know, you go and you hire the COO and the CFO and the VP of sales and the VP of marketing and the list and so on and so forth. And that gives you the time to then focus on some of those other areas. So, so I didn't really go through that is the short answer. Um, you know, only now am I getting the time to sort of, you know, uh, take a step back and, and, you know, read and look up and, and have mentors and be a mentor and understand, um, you know, what, um, you know, where that evolution needs to, needs to go. And especially, you know, with the, the outcome that I want to have with the company, which isn't, you know, just to, to sell to somebody else or, or, um, you know, or to maintain the status quo, um, you know, I, I really want to build, I, I don't like the word legacy, but I really want to build a, you know, a long lasting organization. Um, you do have to evolve, you know, and evolve very quickly, no different than they, they were saying on the product side, right? If you're, if you're not evolving yeah. as, as a leader, as an executive, no matter what level you're at, you know, it's going to be a struggle. Um, and some people, of course, are better at that than others in the early stage. And it just depends on, again, where you've sort of come from, from that perspective. It's also difficult to be an all around phenomenal, perfect founder. Uh, I see this a lot on the M&A side where we run into founders who are great operationally. You know, they can get the company from zero to 50 employees from zero to one million in revenue. But then after that, they just don't have the right capacity for that kind of skill set. And they might have to look for outside help to get the business to that next level. Don't you don't you find that to be true? I mean, I, I, there are some, obviously, I, sorry, there are like there are a few. But I mean, I mean, the biggest thing as well that um, comes to mind is, is, you know, life changes through that process. Right. And it can be mm. such a long, you know, ser- like such a long process. And when you when you look back at, of course, the, you know, I, I always think I always think back to to Larry Ellison as an example where Oracle, you know, almost or did, you know, even I'd go bankrupt five times. 
um, during their process of getting there. I mean, those are the struggles that people, you know, used to deal with. If I think of that as a concept that I would have to deal with today, I mean, I would be a lot, you know, I'd be struggling a lot more, I guess you'd say, than I, than I am. Whereas, um, you know, if, if the only focus is, okay, you have to have, you know, the right kind of uh, leadership advancement or taking the time to, to advance yourself. I mean, I'd say we're all in a pretty good, pretty good spot, you know, if those are some of our only concerns. What has been your biggest difficulty so far? Making that shift, I would say. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm 35, so I'm in that stage of, of life where there's usually, you know, the things that do tend to happen at this stage are, are usually, you know, a lot larger uh, from, a, from a scale perspective, mm-hmm. um, right? Whether it's starting a family or relationships or, or, you know, friends, family, colleagues, it's what becomes a priority and, and maybe wasn't before. And so... Mm-hmm. You know, in the, in the early stages, uh, or not even the early stages, you know, up until relatively recently, you know, I always thought like things would just kind of continue at the same, you know, in a similar pace. But, um, you know, the, the further you go, right, or, you know, the further to the top that you get, the, the harder, literally the harder things become, or the more complex they become. Um, and, and, you know, you know, from a company perspective, every time you add another five employees or 10 employees or 20 employees, right, the, the strain does not get easier. Um, you know, there's certainly something to be said for, for lean and, and simplistic uh, approaches, which I know there's a lot of content out there, but at the end of the day, if you're, you know, you're not going to be, a, for the most part, you know, doing 100 million, 200 million, 500 million in revenue with 30 or 40 people. That's more or less unheard of. I think that'd be great, but uh, just not reality. It's, it's just also a lot of stuff to deal with. You know, there's a lot of shit that you have to go through as a founder. A lot of it is challenging. You know, you're putting out all the fires. You're making sure people get paid. You know, you have to execute on that plan. So how do you stay as an as a entrepreneur, as a CEO, mentally fit for this kind of role? That's a great question. Meditating has been a huge help, uh, but I've, I've only been doing that for a few months now. How do you go about doing it, though? Like, what's your process for meditating? I use an app, actually, called Headspace. and recommended it. Um, you know, for, 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 in, you know, in his situation, it took him, um, you know, I think about a month before he can sort of wean off of it a little bit and, and just, you know, learn to meditate on his own. For me, it's been three months. So, you know, it kind of goes to show how difficult it can be, especially, you know, uh, depending on the, the state you're in from a business perspective, personally, what, what you're dealing with at any given time. Uh, yeah, I mean, exercise is critical to me, you know, it, for the most part, travel is critical and just taking time for yourself. But w- one thing I really do want to uh, do or implement or whatever you want to call it this year is, is taking a whole week. And this is probably going to be impossible, most likely, but off of your phone, um, you know, taking nice. a trip where you can truly disconnect. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of executives that I follow that, that you know, do that twice a year. Um, I, don't, you know, I, I haven't spoken to them to ask them how they're doing that, but um I think that's, you know, I, we're, we're so attached to our phones. I mean, when you start to look at your screen time, you know, on an iPhone, it becomes, you know, how do I get this down, right? How do I get it from yeah. seven hours to six to five to four, you know, and so on. And and that's a lot more difficult than than I thought it would be. And, and so, I, you know, I think that, you know, in, in thinking about, you know, taking care of yourself from a mental standpoint, you know, that that is a critical one. Like we're, we're just way too attached. I, and I think I can say that collectively yeah well the worst part is when you do get that report and it's like you know your, your screen time is down 40 percent great job for an average of six hours a day then you just look at that and you're like damn that's a lot of time yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so that that's tough yeah but let's continue with this chat i mean more on the positive side of social media uh, i know as someone who, who follows you on instagram linkedin like you really do a good job 
with sharing content, you know, whether it's travel, adventures, whether it's posts on LinkedIn, you really do a good job at engaging with people. Uh, so how has that been for you on the positive side? I like it. Um, I can't say everybody else does. I mean, um, a lot of people are still stuck in the past, right? Where, where, you know, CEOs had to be this like quiet individual who, who, you know, works, you know, of course, 80 hours a week, whatever it is. And, and, you know, they don't really want to see what he's doing from a, you know, from a, an enjoyment perspective, right? There's still a lot of content out there every time somebody from, uh, you know, PG&E or, or GM is flying around on a, on a jet or some, some nonsense. Um, uh-huh. But I, I believe that, you know, the, the, um, you know, the, the millennial group or, or the, you know, Gen Z or whatever one we're on this, this year, um, you know, they, they, they don't mind that. Like it really doesn't bother them in terms of how they perceive that individual, right. Or how they perceive that company. Like, um, you know, uh, Elon Musk was smoking marijuana on a podcast recently and fighting with the yeah. SEC on a near weekly basis over his Twitter. I don't think anyone's going to read or see that and say like, I'm not going to buy a Tesla. At least I wouldn't. And I don't think I, you know, would, would feel so, or, or look at somebody so fondly if they did, you know, make decisions based on, on that. So, uh, where I'm going with that is that, you know, I, I think that there needs to be more, you know, engagement with the general community from individuals like myself. Otherwise, what's the point? And I don't mean that, of course, things like podcasts are great and, and just general content writing and so on. But, um, you know, most of the time, these discussions or, or content are focused on um, the business, right? Uh, not, you know, how does Ross like really live or, or, you know, or how does George really live or what does he really like to do? Like, what's he doing this weekend with his his girlfriend, wife, you know, children, so on and so forth. Um, yeah. I think there really is a strong connection point with, you know, especially with kind of the the mid-market, and I say this across verticals, but mid-market organizations, whether you're in tech or commerce or retail or what have you, um, you know, that, that can really bring a lot of value because it humanizes the business at the end of the day, as opposed to just, you know, your client success rep or the support rep you spoke to because your, your item wasn't delivered. Um, you know, people really like to see that. Like, I, I actually think, you know, and this is getting a little more dramatic, but I actually think that's why no one really cares about Amazon, you know, or what's going on with Jeff Bezos. Like they don't care because uh-huh. like, yeah, that, that's, you know, life happens and um, he's getting a divorce. It happens. I mean, that, that that's it. Sure. You know, and fortunately some other things with pictures and whatnot are a different story, but nobody's panicking over it. Right. Because it's, you know, yeah. it's unfortunately or fortunately the world that we live in these days. And um, if anything, you, you probably, can, can read those articles and, and, you know, and sort of simplify, sorry, sympathize with the situation, just saying, Hey, um, yeah, I, I can see how, you know, he would, ha- he would get a divorce at this point. Maybe it wasn't working out. Yeah. And I just think it's a tool at the end of the day. You know, I think everybody can hate on social media all they want, but I always say that, you know, social media, uh, just made transparent what human behavior has always been. And I think that's really true. I mean, you can use it for good. You can use it for bad. But I think for CEOs, what's cool there is that you have lessons, experiences, you have that kind of day in and day out uh, gems that a lot of people would really take a lot of value from. And so I think if you can share it comfortably, uh, transparently and, and from a genuine place, I think a lot of people can derive value from it. Looking forward, though, for, for Maripost, I mean, given where you started, where you are today and what you're looking to still accomplish, what would you say that is like, what are the next steps the next priorities in line for you and your business? Yeah. So, so, I mean, we've always focused on being a profitable business. Of course, you know, maintaining that is, is key for, for just, for just myself being proud of the organization that, that I built and the organization that the team will continue to build. Um, You know, I, 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 as I said earlier on, I I always am excited about uh, simplifying the customer, you know, whether it be the customer journey or customer engagement or, 
um, you know, and when I say customer, I'm thinking like of our customer's customer, but also for our customer as well, right? The the process that they have to go through to sign up with Maripost and to work with Maripost on a day-to-day basis, like, you know, simplifying that is really is really kind of core to what, um, you know, our, our current stages uh, of growth are going to be about. And, and again, taking, you know, the, the fundamentals that we started with and, and continuing to bring that along. Um, where I see us going, you know, from a, thinking of sort of the, you know, the product or the ecosystem side of things is, you know, today, obviously, as we mentioned, we're in the, the marketing and the commerce space. Um, I see us going into the, the service and support space because of the natural progression of that customer relationship that we're looking to support for our customers. Um, and then also uh, maneuvering into, into somewhat of the, you know, the self-service space. So there's, you know, there's a lot of technology in our platforms, um, or maybe you do know, or maybe don't, but uh, there's a lot of technology in there. And so, you know, being able to, to pull some of those components out and create a, a self-service avenue is really just logical because, you know, most companies these days, they want to buy something and, and you know, do a demo of it for $29 a month or $100 a month, whatever the dollar is, doesn't really matter, um, you know, and start using it and really scale and grow with that. And so for us, you know, launching, you know, a series or, or a handful of self-service products will really just enforce that and allow us to access a larger, um, uh, sorry, a, lar- a larger group of users uh, mm-hmm. without having to, you know, manage it all from a direct sale perspective. So then it becomes, well, you know, customer XYZ is using our self-service mobile platform. And then, uh, oh, why don't we upgrade them to Maripost for marketing? And then why don't we upgrade them to Maripost for commerce and then Maripost for service? Um, so there's a logical progression there with the kind of channels that we're, we're in today and the ones we're looking to focus on in the future. And then maybe from the personal side, uh, Ross, what kind of legacy do you want for yourself? Like when it's all said and done, what would you like people to remember you for, for what you've done and what you've accomplished, you know, during your time here? It's less about myself. Like I'm not, I don't put myself sort of at the forefront of, of what we accomplish is in the, the company. Um, I always want to be sort of the, you know, the, the critical point of what, what made it successful. And, and sorry, so saying mm-hmm. simple, simple, easy to use platforms is not really what I, what I mean to say. Um, I suppose that that's, you know, the natural progression into what does the company stand for, right? And of course you can get into mission and vision and values and so on. But, uh, you know, the reality is, is there's, there's a lot of tech companies out there, you know, just like us, of course, many larger, many smaller than us at the same time. Um, and I, I think we have to be a little more socially responsible across the board. I, you know, there's, I was just reading something uh, today, you know, or Patagonia has had a, a history of, of focusing on that. And they want to work with companies that also, you know, are are supportive of those those endeavors. So, you know, so for me today, uh, you know, the, the personal aspects there are really, you know, how did we help to maintain our environment? How how did we help to maintain, um, you know, our animal kingdom as an example? You know, how, how do we how do we avoid doing kind of you know further damage all for the benefit of a few extra dollars um, as an example? And that and that's a tough, you know, kind of you know, a point for a founder or, or CEO or whatever to, to get to where, um, you know, they, they can't just focus on on the revenue, right? And, and of yeah. course, not everybody would want to hear that, but, uh, you know, depending on where, where they are in the organization. Um, but it, you have to have that in the back of your mind. You have to have, I think you have to have a plan for that, you know, sooner than later. I, I don't think you should have a plan for that on day one because that can end up dominating the same plan that you, you were, you're trying to execute on. <laughs> And there's a lot of companies where that happens, right? They're thinking, they're thinking all about the social aspect. I'm like, well, that's great that you think this social cause that you want to support is, is the key to your growth. But 
your revenue was $25,000 last month. Like that's really not going to make a dent in, you know, in anything. In the second uh, cause. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, I'd say that's, you know, that's the long-term term goal for myself. But, you know, if we were ever able to, to look back and have, have had, you know, major product, uh, sorry, projects, uh, you know, protecting or supporting, as I said, the animal kingdom or, um, you know, any levels from an environmental perspective, um, you know, that would be good enough for me. Yeah, and with that last point, I actually wanted to touch on Meropost Cares, which is that philanthropy arm, you know, of the business. And I think it's really, it's really cool to see how both are uh, intertwined. So, you know, the performance, the profit of Meripost really does trickle into the nonprofit side that you do. But it also gives you that kind of higher sense of purpose that what you're doing is is beyond just profit or beyond just the platform, but but really more holistic and more focused around the environment and conservation. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, while we haven't done enough on that side, setting it up and getting things moving sooner than later is certainly better than never, right? Or, or too late. Um, again, we only have so many years on, on this planet, so might as well start uh-huh. the sooner we can. Whether that be a small endeavor or, or a large endeavor, doesn't really matter. At least it's something. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, just quickly on this topic, if you haven't watched the new documentary series, uh, Our Planet on Netflix, it's hands down a must watch. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. It's narrated by Sir uh, David Attenborough. Uh, just an amazing, amazing uh, docu-series about, you know, the planet, wildlife, and exactly what we're talking about here. Ross, if you were to go back to, say, your mid-20s, would there be something that you would do differently knowing what you know now? Hmm. That's a great question. Make better decisions. Okay. Not that making not, not, no, I'm sort of kidding there because everybody, you know, that's, uh, we can't, we're, we're, none of us are perfect. We're not going to always make the best decisions. And the best decisions are, are the, of course, the learning experiences that we need to make better decisions. Um, you know, that's a great question. I th- you know, I've said this a few times on, on a few different podcasts, but I think it would have been not to build a much larger team around me early, earlier on, uh, you know, and, and, and you're sort of asking my mid twenties, I'm, I'm just sort of relating this to when I started the, the company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I always sort of have a, um, you know, a back and forth with myself, you know, where I wonder if I had hired, you know, two more you know, not senior, but just two more people, right, to to bring, you know, bring with me along the, the journey in the first, you know, kind of five, six years uh, that we were going. And, you know, and whether that would have brought back more value or, or not, right. And I, and I always toy with that, because you never know, every situation is different, you could have had a couple more people. And I, I've heard endless stories where you've got multiple founders, and they're all fighting over, you know, nonsense, so nothing gets done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not good. But the, you know, but I, but I think when you, you know, it just allows you to offload, you know, some of those uh, whether we departments or, or areas of the business that, that maybe you didn't have to spend, you know, 30% of your time on every week, you could have had a VP or, or you know, a chief operating officer or a chief financial officer uh, really come along with you. So, I mean, that, that's one. No, I really appreciate that. And I think it takes, you know, a lot of reflection when you look back and reverse you know, seeing some of those intricacies of what maybe you could have uh, adjusted or done better or done differently, because you have obviously now the lessons, the experience, the maturity. But at the same time, and I think you've noted this before, it's like you wouldn't really change anything on the macro level, because everything you've went through uh, contributed to where you are now. So 
there's definitely that component as well. Last question for you, man, before we end this is, for someone listening who is in their 20s, what advice or pieces of advice would you give them if they want to embark on the journey of entrepreneurship? Again, if they're if they're in their mid twenties and they're they're looking to build an organization, I would say it's it's you you have to, and again, everyone many people would say this, but you literally have to give it your all. I mean, you have to be committed to you know every part of the customer process, right? I I don't think you can you can buy your way there. You know, I don't believe in the um, again we, going back to the start of the discussion. I don't believe in the raising capital at every possible. Uh, level, I believe in the, you know, some cases doing it yourself. And I really believe in that. And so I think that while that's such a, a, a basic content um, view that, you know, of course, you have to work hard if you want really want to build a company, but not a lot of people do that, right? They get into mm. companies for for ego reasons, they get into companies for prestige reasons, they get into companies for, um, you know, for, for a multitude of different aspects. And, and, you know, I would rather just see people going into it because they're like, I, I have a great idea. I can execute on this idea. Maybe not forever. Um, but at a certain point, you know, not day one, I will need to bring that team on. But until then, I'm going to do it myself. Not not myself, but, you know, with a smaller group, I guess you could say. Well, thanks so much, Ross. I, I really, really appreciate your time here. You know, talking about the business, the future of it, lessons you've learned, just being very open, genuine about things. Uh, it really was a pleasure and uh, looking forward to meeting you in person, man grabbing some drinks or uh, coffee this time, all right? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. 